Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. I'm here to, to talk about the book of Ephesians, and I love this book, and I think it's an incredible book because every chapter, every paragraph, every line is layered with Christ and His church. And I am so excited to be able in the next few moments to share a little bit about this. But before I start, I just want to pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege and the honor it is to come around your word. I pray that whoever is hearing these words, God, whatever they need, I pray that you would fill them up, you would strengthen them, that we would leave here more in love with you and in your church. And we give you all the glory. And everyone said, Amen. Well, just before we start, I just want to give a little bit of context of um, the book of Ephesians. It was written to the people of Ephesus around 61 to 62 AD. And this book um, is a book that pretty much is talking about the church and about Jesus. It's talking about identity and it's talking about how we play our part in the kingdom of God. The, you have to know about Ephesus. It's modern day Turkey. So if you look at it on Google Maps just now, you'll see that it's where the east meets the west. It is the port where there was so much trade. It was a busy province of uh, the Roman Empire, but it's where east meets the west. And the writer here is talking to a culture and a context where you've got Jewish Christians and you've got Gentile Christians. Both, you couldn't get further apart socially, economically, and culturally. They were miles apart. But the whole book is pointing them towards Jesus. I like that, that you couldn't get further apart, but here in this province, in this town called Ephesus, it is where East meets West. It is where Gentiles meet Jews. But in modern day today, it is where you and I, that is our meeting point. How, however different you are from me, how, wherever you're from, we can meet at the book of Ephesians, and that can be our connection point. So just to, just to kind of give that little bit there, the whole purpose of unity. If we break down the first three chapters, eh, the words that I wrote down yesterday was thanksgiving, blessing, identity, inclusion and unity. Now, that is the local church. That is what, if you were to write about a church, that would be the dream that you would include all of these things. In the first chapter, I just want to break down three particular verses in the first three chapters. And the first one is 1, 16 to 17, if you've got your Bible. And it says this, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better so that we may know him better. And that is our prayer out of this next season, however seasoned you are, or maybe this is the first time that you've walked into church this morning, like my friend Oziah. You are welcome here, but wherever you find yourselves, our prayer for you is that you know him better, that we know him clearer, that we know the person of Jesus. 
The author here talks in the first chapter about riches and blessings. I don't know if you um, subscribe to this sort of teaching. It's not about prosperity. It's about something so much more than that. It's about the riches and the blessings it's found in church. Over this last year, it's been difficult. It's been dark. It's been hard. But one of the highlights for me is being able to walk into this building, talk with you, get encouraged by you, get worship, and hear the, uh, the preaching of the Word, because I leave richer than I walk in. Not that I'm a thief, and when you're all worshiping, I take your wallet, but I leave richer because of being here. I leave better off than arriving here, because this is the beauty of the church, that, that however we come feeling in, because of all of you, I leave richer. I leave better off. And um, this last few days, we've heard a lot about Prince Philip and the legacy and the life that he has left. Um, but one of the best things I read about him because he was an outsider, and he came into the royal family. The queen was born into riches. The queen and her sister were born into the family of royalty. But Philip came in. He was adopted in. But one thing Philip was very good at is the daughter-in-laws and the son-in-law that he had, he would meet with them first, and he would talk to them, and he would say, hey, you are adopted into this family. This is some of the instructions and the expectations that is needed to be part of this. But like Philip, and like Diana, and like the other ones adopted in, we maybe are not born into royalty and born into riches, but we are adopted into the family of God. We are adopted in to the riches that God has got for us. And like the church in Barcelona um, that has been built for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it will continue to get built, that is like us today. You are building me. I am building you. And the gates of hell has not prevailed, and the gates of hell will not prevail from us building the church. We've had a pandemic. We've had closed doors. But the church has grew. The church has built. The church has went forward because that is what we are. The magnificence and the grandeur of building church comes from these riches and these blessings. And that is my encouragement to you is what are we thankful for? What are we thanking God for? What is our gratitude towards? Um, I am thankful for so much. It's a perspective thing. We can look back in the last year, and it has been horrible for so many reasons, but we can look back and say, thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. The second chapter is identity, and we've heard Pastor Steve talk about identity, but I want to get you to read uh, chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. This was a, a favorite of Martin Luther, the great reformer, and he said, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do God's work. I love that. The, the original Greek word for this was, we are God's poema. Now, you can guess what that means. We are God's poem. You and I are God's poem. Wherever we go tomorrow, you are God's poem. You are the God's poem that He is writing on behalf of you to your neighbors, 
to your co-workers. He is writing a poem on your behalf in your life. I think that's really cool. That our lives are poems to the people around us. Now, I love being part of this church. We have got great singers. We have got great writers. We have got great dancers. By the way, Dan Jackson and I were very keen to join the dancing team last week, and we would love to encourage you with our poem. Uh, the poem might be out of sync with everyone else's poem, but it's our poem to God. Yeah. Yeah, I get a round of applause for that. That's okay, Dan. Next week, you and I are writing God's poem. Um, but we are fully alive. I love this chapter. It talks about being fully alive. And then straight after that, he talks about reconciliation to community. We are fully alive when we are committed to the community around us. We are fully alive when we are reconciled to the community. He was writing here, you are fully alive Jewish Christians when you are reconciled to the Gentile Christians. And he's talking to you and I today that you are fully alive when you are reconciled to the person that you disagree with. That's when we are alive. That's when we are committed, is when we are fully reconciled with community. Community shapes our identity. Who we are is built by where we are from and the, the people around us. We are shaping Caleb's identity right now. We are giving him Yorkshire tea, Yorkshire puddings, but we're also giving him some iron brew as well for him not to forget where he's from. Community is shaped in identity. Caleb, and I just want to say this once, Caleb was born in Leeds. He is a citizen of Yorkshire. He is born here. I have been adopted in here, but he is born here. And like he is born here and I am adopted in here, we are heaven citizens. We are heaven citizens. We, we have got a passport to heaven. Our passport says that we are heaven, that that is where we are going. It doesn't matter where we've been because we know that that is where we are going. We are part of the kingdom of God. And the last chapter, the first chapter talks about our hearts, the second about our souls, and the third chapter talks of our future. Because the third chapter is all about God's marvelous plan for the Gentiles. The chapter is about the outsider. The chapter is about the one that doesn't fit in. The chapter is about the one that doesn't belong. If that's you, that's okay because this chapter is written for you and it ends well. And it ends well for me because I am the outsider. Regardless of what I've done, I was the outsider. I was the stranger. But this chapter talks about being in Christ. We are no longer of the world. In Christ is a key term in these six chapters. It says we are in Christ. We are in Christ. We don't talk from a position of being out of Christ, but we talk from a place of being in Christ. The writer is saying that the outsider, you've got a chance. The stranger, you've got a chance. The one that is no hope, you've got hope today. You know why? Because of God's marvelous plan. If God had a marvelous plan thousands of years ago to a place in Ephesus to the Gentiles, then God has still got a marvelous plan to the outsider here in Leeds. And I want to encourage you with that. Don't leave an outsider you leave here belonging. This is your home. This is where you belong. And this is what the church is all about. I've got two minutes left. I want to honor Tyrone's time. And it says this in the last couple of verses. If I was, if you were to bleed, uh, if I was to bleed, these would be the verses um, that I would come out with. 
Ephesians 3, 17 to 20. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and how wide is the love of Christ. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, imagine, according to his power, to him be the glory in the church to Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That is a mic drop kind of verse. But I want to break it down just in a few moments. It says that we are prayed for, that we would become rooted and established in him and in his love. It doesn't say that we would be rooted and established in a church or in a movement, but our prayer for you is that you would be rooted, that you would be established in his love for you, his never-ending, never-failing love. It says that we are encouraged to be together with the community of God. Dave preached an amazing message a few months ago called People Need People. And can I encourage you that I need you and you need me. I need your testimony to tell me how great God's love is. I need your songs to tell me, to show me how wide the love of God is. I need you to serve me by opening the door for me to show me how great God's love is for me. Everything that you do shows me how great God's love is, how wide, how deep, how high. God loves us so much, and I need you to tell your story, to show me how great. I need reminded, and it's by telling your story, it's by hearing your encouragement and listening to your writing. And God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, seek, or imagine. And I just want to encourage you um, that God is able to do more. And I know, and I thank God for what God has done previous, but I know that there is still more to come. I know that there are more baptisms to happen, there are more restorations to happen, more addictions to fall. I know that there are more people to walk through these doors. I I know that there is more found in God, more love to grasp, more grace to live in, more people for more communities to reach out to. There is more in God. Amen? And just as I finish, I just want to read this one last quote before I tag my partner in. And it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my absolute heroes. He was a man that stood up against the Nazi regime in the 1930s and 40s, a German pastor. When everyone was fleeing out of the country, he was going into the country. He was martyred 71 years ago on Friday. And this is what he said, in a dark time in the early 40s Germany, just imagine what that would have been like. This is what he says, May God lead us kindly through these times, but above all, may God lead us to himself. And that is our prayer, and that is my prayer, that may God lead us, may God lead you to himself. At the end of Ephesians 6, may you be led to God himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's talk, team. Let's do this. Thank you, mate. Why don't you give Stu another round of applause? That was a great message. Awesome. You know, it's funny because I grew up watching wrestling as well, and man, I've always wanted to 
to be in a massive wrestling match. You know, Royal Rumble, where I, I think it'd be great if we all got up here and shared a minute for a minute. I'd be like a massive Royal Rumble. But um, <laughs> no, I thought Stu shared some fantastic things because it's great that we're looking into the book of Ephesians, as, as Pastor Steve was saying. This is a phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal book packed with such richness and depth as, as Stu just unpacked like the first three chapters. And, you know, the, those key things that he mentioned about... Um, Chapters one being about the heart, chapter two being about the soul, and chapter three being about our future, um, and how that all links into our identity. It all links into who we are. And I want to open up with um, just carrying on from where Stu left off, going in straight into chapter four um, and verses one to three. And, and this is a pivotal point in the book because the book is split in two halves. You've got the first half, which speaks a lot about identity, and you've got the second half about how we now live because of who we are. And, and so it says in chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy, uh, sorry, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and this is a phenomenal verse especially in 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 chapter one um, in verse one as as like i was saying this is the point where paul in his letter starts talking to us about like now because of who i am this is how i should live this is how we start off the next um, the next three chapters because of who i am this is how i should live essentially he's saying let what you do flow from who you are let what you do flow from who you are. Let your life look like who you are now in Christ. And, and that's fundamentally important for us because, you know, we have two natures when we come to faith. When we come to faith, there's the old nature. But there's the old nature that's still there. But then there's the new nature that's birthed within us. It's like we have this second nature within us. We have an old nature that, that urges us towards sin and what separates us from God. But then there's this new nature that draws us near to him. And Paul's telling us to, 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 to engage into that, that new nature, to feed the new nature, to let the spirit within us grow and develop, that we can cleave and draw nearer to God. And so just as um, Stu was saying, it's, like I say, it's about let what you do flow from who you are. And so if you look at who we are in Christ and what God has bestowed upon us or what God has put in us, then we can kind of see how we're to walk. And so like all throughout chapters one to three, we see that God has forgiven us of our sins. We see that there's grace poured upon our lives. We see spiritual blessing all over us and in heavenly places. God's mercy is put upon us. His love, it speaks about in, in chapter three, as Stu just mentioned, God's peace has been bestowed in us and upon us. We are now citizens of heaven, as um, Stu was saying. And God's faith is placed within us. And now that all of this makes up who we are, this is what's to flow from us. You see, imagine being like a jug. God pours all of this into you and then it's supposed to flow through you. You know, I still remember it last year in January, Dave preached a message. If you haven't heard, you can go back on Spotify called Let the Blessings Flow. The blessings that are placed within you are supposed to flow through to others. And this is what Paul's encouraging when he says, walk worthy of the manner of the calling with which you are called. 
it's saying walk in a way that is just like what God's bestowed in you. Don't walk in your old habits and old ways. It's saying put that aside. Walk in what's now been placed in you, who you now are. Let what you do flow from who you are. We're all new in Christ. In, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, it says that the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are new in Christ. It doesn't matter about our past. That's gone. It's washed away in Christ. It's about who we now are and how we therefore live as a result of that. And so to, to dive just a little bit into that a little bit more, there's a, there's a scripture in James, in, in James chapter 2. And it's a, um, oh, I don't know if it's a tough scripture, but it's like a proper like, hit you in the gut a little bit. James chapter 2, um, verse 14 to 17. Um, James, uh, who's the brother of Jesus, he starts speaking about how we are to, he says that essentially that faith without works is dead. And so... I just want to read this very quickly um, for us. Just struggling to get there. Yeah, so James chapter 2, verse 14 uh, through to 17. And it says, oh, my pages are glued together. <laughs> it's, the, it's the downside of using a paper Bible. But here we go. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And what he's essentially saying is, um, who we are, it has to impact what we do. It's like there's, there's no way that Christ can come into our lives and we remain the same. There has to be some change, at least somewhat, some change. And this is what he's speaking about, how he's like, faith without works is dead. He's saying, man, like, if Christ is in us, then something has to start to look different. There has to be some level of conviction over my sin. There has to be some level of, man, I don't want to do that anymore. At least some desire in some way, shape or form. And... Paul, flipping back to uh, Ephesians, in this, um, this verse, verses 1 to 3, he's speaking about the unity of the church. He's saying that I now, like, what I do flows from who I am, but what I do always impacts the community. This is what he's saying. He's saying what I do now helps to unite every single person in this room. It helps to unite me to you. It helps to unite you to me. It helps me to reach out to those who are outside of our community and bring them in to this community that we have. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying walk worthy of the, 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 uh, walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. And he gives, us the, the, he gives us the how to and to do that in the verses two and three, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And this is what we're to do. We're to be patient with one another because it builds unity. You know, he, he's saying we're to, to be gentle with one another. We're to have humility. We're to esteem others higher than ourselves, sometimes putting our needs aside to look at somebody else's or our wants aside to look at somebody else's needs. And all of these things help to unite us as this family because we're all a bunch of random people in a room. But just like Stu was saying, it, the thing that brings us together is Jesus Christ. 
And it's the one person who can unite anyone to anyone. And this is what Paul's saying. We're now in Christ. So walk worthy of that. Unite with your brothers and sisters. If there's need, meet it. However best you can, meet that need. And so I want to wrap up with the second half of, um, with the final bit of what I'd speak on the first bit and the final bit of meet it all together. Because the, the last part of the book, and again, it's another great reason why you should really delve into Ephesians throughout these coming weeks. Like in your own personal study time, really read through it. Um, it's chapter six. Um, and it's verses 10 to 17, and it might be familiar to some of you, especially if you're from like quite a charismatic Pentecostal background like myself. You know, these, these verses, they're, they're all about essentially um, putting on the armor of God. And when you read the first five chapters and even the first half of chapter six, this can kind of feel a little bit out of place, especially if you've got a very charismatic Pentecostal mindset like myself. It can very much feel like, yeah, unity within the body, unity within the body, and then choke slam the devil. <laughs> like, it almost seems like, well, where did that come from? That's a bit random. Um, and so I'll read through these verses and then um, just delve into this just a little bit more. Uh, from verse 10, chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, finally, Paul's wrapping up this whole, these whole chapters here together. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities um, sorry we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, you know, you have this picture of someone prepared for battle in the midst of battle, wrestling with the enemy. So I thought it was so apt with Stu's analogy of tag teaming and, you know, choke slamming people through tables. It's like, <laughs> it kind of seems like this is what we're encouraged to do here with the devil. <laughs> And I'm not saying that we're, there's no level of offense in the, in the kingdom of God um, in the sense of to march forth and take what, was, what is ours. Um, what I'm trying to get at here is, is think about the first five chapters that Paul is speaking about, about unity in the church, about who I am now in Christ. And he's saying here that it's not to say that we don't wage war with the enemy, but he's saying don't be so fixed and focused on, let's say, you know, storming away the devil from my children and from drugs or from all sorts but he's saying remember that you have to put on your armor of God to maintain unity within the church it's something that I think can be easily missed I think it's so easy to see like, and, and think that the devil is here to just destroy my house for it to be burnt down or something like that and I'm not saying that that can't necessarily happen not to scare anyone or anything but why I'm saying is Paul's put this in a context where he's about division and discord. He's saying maintain unity. 
He's saying, because if there's one thing the enemy would want, it's that you would be divided. Jesus says in the Gospels that a house divided cannot stand. And so we see this, uh, chapter 6, coming on the back of Paul speaking about unity. Let me encourage you guys, be united. Again, in, in, in uh, verses 2 and 3, when he's speaking about how do we maintain unity. I'll read this again. In verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4, it says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This is why we put on the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the feet of the good news of of the gospel of peace. You know, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. We do this to maintain a unity because Jesus says also in the gospels, in, in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give you that you would love one another. And he essentially says that When people see the love that you have one another, they will know that you are my disciples. The unity that is within the church is so powerful. It's a witness to the unbeliever that just like Stu was saying, that someone could come from the most random, the most heinous of backgrounds and someone could seem to have grown up in the church and live this whole polished life and that they can find complete unity and be brothers and sisters in the faith father and son mother and daughter in the faith and it's because we are called to unity we are called to a oneness we are called to love one another and this is what is phenomenal about the gospel of Jesus Christ and this is what's amazing about this book of Ephesians because it tells us all about that tells us about who we are and now how we should live because of who we now are which is amazing and so you know, if, if you haven't read the book of Ephesians before, I, I strongly encourage you to, strongly urge you to. You will open your eyes to some of the great works that Jesus Christ has done to make us a church, to make us one. But what it will also do is it will, it will open your eyes to your need for him. Just like Stu was saying in chapter two, it shows us about our fallenness, about our sin about what separates us from God. It essentially says that we're in a place where we're separated from God. God's perfect and we're not. And there's a separation, there's a gap because of that. But it speaks about how the work that Jesus Christ has done, it makes us reconciled to the Father, it says, or reunited in right relationship with God the Father, our creator. And that is what is fundamentally important. That's the most important news you could ever hear in life ever ever Stu had amazing news the other day come to the hospital Jen's about to give birth this news is greater than that and that's no disrespect to his son or his wife in any way shape or form but I know he would attest to that the good news of the gospel is the greatest thing you can ever hear and it's that we are separated from God just as Ephesians says but through Christ we can be united again And this is why we should spend some time in Ephesians. Learn about who you are. And if you don't know Christ, if you're in here and you know, you maybe, yeah, maybe this is like your first time ever in a church. 
maybe you don't, let me not say you don't know Christ, you don't walk with him, you don't live with him, your, you know, your lifestyle might not um, just marry up to what the, the gospel or the Bible teaches. I want to encourage you in this moment to get to know Christ and to get to know him truly, intimately. That we can spend time in his word, that we can spend time in prayer, in worship, in community as brothers and sisters and get to know him for yourself. And so, in this moment, you know, one thing that this book teaches about is that um, you know, to get to know Christ, if that's you and you want to get to know him, it teaches us about um, essentially repentance and faith. And all that is, is it's a turning away from my old way and a turning to the new. Turning towards Jesus Christ. Because we, to turn to Christ, we have to turn away from our old ways. It's like our old ways are that way, Jesus is that way. And I just want to see by a show of hands, this is probably a bold moment that's asked of you, uh, that I'm asking of you. Um, and in this moment, I just want to see a show of hands. If there's anyone in this room who feels as though, you know, they want to start turning away from their old ways and to put their faith in Christ, to look to him, to live for him, to, to put away with all of the old things, the things that you feel might separate you from God, the things that you feel might just bring just dismayed mess to your life. And you want to turn away from that and turn to Christ, the one who restores, the one who puts us in right relationship with God. And so I just ask to be bold in this moment. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Because we want to pray with you. Amazing. I saw your hand over there. Fantastic. Is there anyone else? Who knows that how you live is separating you from God. Amazing. Amazing. And you want to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Be reunited with your creator, the Father God. Amazing. You know, I want to pray in this moment. Could we all pray this prayer together? Uh, that would be great. If we will just bow our heads. Heavenly Father. Oh yeah, Joel, repeat after me. <laughs> Heavenly Father. I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for sending him to die for my sin and to put me back in right relationship with you. Strengthen me. Equip me. Help me to know who I am and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amazing. Why don't you give a round of applause to those people? <laughs>